Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm inclined to just get straight into the show. This was an episode that didn't have a cold open. It did not have a cold open. I actually have something I I wanted to... I have a name I can drop on this episode, Adam. Really? The writer of this episode is a friend of mine from college. Oh, really? Yeah. Do we have him on the line right now? <laughs> I thought about asking, but uh, but I didn't think about it until way too late in the day to get it scheduled. And we're kind of, we're, we're in a semi-improvised recording situation right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe we'll get him on like in the, in the off season or something to talk about writing for Lower Decks. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I didn't realize that... Uh, he was on the show until I spotted his name in the credits, but uh, I... So see. hold on a second. Yeah. Ben Joseph has heard you jacket. <laughs> That's what you're I telling me? I didn't say he was my roommate. I said he was my friend. Oh, okay. I all mean, right, he has right. heard me jacket, but that's because I do sure. that to all my friends. Yeah, all of your friends know what that sound is. <laughs> ben and I were uh, were kind of in charge of the college comedy magazine together when we were buds in, in college. And he went on to a, an illustrious television writing career. He's written like an episode of The Simpsons, I believe. What uh, the fuck? I thought yeah, you had to go to Harvard to write for The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 done uh, a ton of stuff. And um, and I uh, I sent him a text and I said, "Hey, man, spotted your name on Lower Decks. I think the show is really great, and I hope you're proud of it because I think it's good." And um, I hadn't talked to him in a few years, so it was uh, it was nice to reconnect. Nice to nice to know that uh, somebody that I know was in a writer's room and yet no no greatest gen references so far. <laughs> you still have contacts of people that you knew in college in your phone? Yeah, I mean, I haven't burned every single relationship to the ground. Just mm. most of them. Don't know what that's like. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. What was the name of your college uh, comedy magazine? Uh, the Plague, NYU's comedy magazine is called the plague and uh i'm sure it's still going it's been it's been going for decades it's nyu's kind of cargo cult version of the harvard lampoon you know it's like sure it's a a student club that gets a little bit of university money but unlike harvard it doesn't have its own freestanding building (laughs) i really owe you an apology ben i i owe you an apology for so many things but maybe the thing I owe you an apology for the most is that, like, I I just relentlessly make fun of you for being uh, a fucking dork. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, almost every episode, I learn something that I am just, like, 10 out of 10 envious about. When I went to college, like, I, I went to all of the, like, get-to-know-your-local-improv-team uh, <laughs> groups and I was internet commenter of those moments. I was like, I'm too cool for that. I'm not going to do it. And so I I didn't join anything cool. And I don't have much to show for my time <laughs> in college. And here, here you are on our hit Star Trek podcast, 
telling me about all the cool stuff you did in college. I mean, it was it was not cool. Like nobody at NYU knows about the plague. Like is comedy cool yet? I feel like <laughs> comedy was never cool, and then it was momentarily cool. Yeah, uh, and that's where we're at. I mean, the history of comedy is a long history of deeply uncool people. Right. It's one of those things where like it's a student organization that has some kind of. I don't, I don't know, you know, know exactly how it comes to be that a, a student club gets the blessing of the university and then access to university money. But somebody long before my time at the plague figured out that you just apply for 10% more of a budget every year mm. because that like they will automatically give you at least 10% more of, of your budget. So if you just ask for that every year, they will keep giving it to you. I remember that from corporate life too. Like you want to keep those department budgets increasing. Yeah, you you want to spend everything that that you get every year to to make the case that we need a little bit more next year. And so we would do we would do the plate came out once a semester, so we would issue uh, the you know the fall issue and the spring issue, and then any money that was left over, we would find a liquor store that did not have itemized receipts. And oh, spend boy. the remainder of the money throwing a big rager in, you know, like a a debaucherous drunken party in a student building that was like super against the rules to drink in. Hey, this might be a weird question, but like so much of your college experience, I feel like is related to uh, to your flagging mental health at the time. How were you able to balance comedy with how you were feeling well i think by the time i got involved with the comedy magazine i was kind of out of the woods as mm -hmm. it were not not entirely but like i was i was stable enough that i could participate that in that and like early on in being involved with that it was just like show up to the tuesday afternoon meeting mm -hmm. if your class schedule permitted it and you know, submit one or two pieces for, uh, for publication. And right. if you were lucky, they would make it into the, into the magazine. So it was like a pretty low effort thing at first. And then like, if you stick around long enough, you can, you know, you can get like a title eventually. Yeah. Like managing editor or editing manager. Associate producer. Yeah. That was the kind of fun stuff Ben Joseph and I got into back in the day. Man, I bet Ben Joseph has some stories. I want to talk to that guy. <laughs> I'd really like to know that Benjamin R. Harrison. Yeah, he was kind of, uh, he was a fun person to be friends with after college because like the first year or so after he graduated, he was working for Broadway Video, uh, helping them. The SNL company. Yeah, and they were signing up uh comedians to make shows for super deluxe the wow on again off again comedy website so he would just like get free tickets to tons of like stand-up shows and stuff around the city and always had like a spare one if i wanted it and we would just go and see a funny show and then like after the show eugene merman would be like hey what's up ben joseph and would come over and talk to us for five minutes no way yeah He's always he's always had a little edge. He was technically the vice president of the magazine when I was the president, but we all knew where the power really lie. <laughs> right. Uh, 
Yeah, you were you were definitely the George W. of that magazine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but so in texting him about what it's like to write on this show, he said it's a, it's a very collaborative environment, and he only feels like twenty percent more ownership over this particular episode than any other. Oh, that's interesting because we're used to writer cloud on DS Nine, for example. You know, right. And writer cloud on DS9 can sometimes mean dog shit episode, but I think in a comedy writer's room, you know, the jokes are, you're sourcing them from like a big group of people so that you can just really get the kind of joke density that a Star Trek Lower Decks has. Yeah. If you're, if you're going for half hour comedy, that's what you want. Yeah. So, uh. Anyways, I <laughs> I hope he's okay with me relating that to people, but uh, but I really like this episode. You mean he might have a problem with how complimentary you've been for the last fifteen minutes? Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm sure that'd be a big problem. I don't know if he has like an NDA, you know. Well, it's all I'm saying. Uh, if we broke it, so sorry. Yeah, my my sincere apologies to my former friend Ben Joseph. <laughs> 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 you want to get into the episode? You're going to be former friends for the second time now after this. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We've uh, we've done 10 times the cold open for the episode we're here to record that uh, the episode we watched had. Mm-hmm. It's episode five of the first season of Lower Decks. It's called Cupid's Errant Arrow. I did not notice the lack of cold open until watching it the second time yeah you know i came in on the title sequence and i assumed that like my uh you know the app had like saved a a start time for me that was wrong and so i rewound and had to watch the cbs all access logo a second time evidently it's a statistical rarity in star trek for that to happen it's only happened uh two or three times i think wow i like it I thought yeah. uh, I thought it was it, it was a nice way of just getting right into it, and I like that there is a sense in this show that format is not a prison, you know. Yeah, I like that too, especially when I think it would be so easy to get a Brooklyn Nine Nine esque Andy Samberg totally like one minute tangent to a funny face by Sandberg into <laughs> theme song, you know. Totally. Like comedy allows for that in such a huge way. This episode is about a project that the Cerritos is involved with alongside the USS Vancouver. (laughs) Trying to get that pronunciation right. Oh, boy. Uh, They have to destroy a moon that is going to crash into a planet. And the Vancouver is a ship that specializes in complex engineering projects like this. It seems as though space demolition would be a more common story than than it's ever been on Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, in other sci-fi franchises, in other sci-fi franchises, they have entire. So you gave that the the Canadian pronunciation too. <laughs> franchises, they have entire species that get into that, like the Vogons. In uh... I was just gonna say the Vogons. <laughs> in uh, what is that? So long and thanks for all the fish. Or are they in the first one? Oh, I mean, they're all they're also great. Are you, are you not a Hitchhiker's Guide stan? I've never read any of those. That is very surprising to me. I uh, would I be happier if I did? Um, I kind of I wonder if it's something that 
is particularly appealing to read if you're a kid. Like I definitely yeah. like I got like the collected Hitchhiker's Guide books when I was like you know twelve or thirteen, and just and just you know cry laughed my way through it. Yeah. Um, but I like the movies. I like the I listen to the BBC radio version of it. The way Far Side is so funny when you're of a certain age, and now it just fills you with ennui. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh well, <laughs> I mean that's exactly what I was going to say. This is truly a humbling experience. You're welcome. It feels like foundation was laid in the first episode and we keep on like in geological terms. What are we doing, Ben? We're we're adding sand and silt and uh and fire. We're adding layers to this idea of ship jealousy. Yeah. And I think that it's intentional that the Vancouver is a very similar right. form factor to the Cerritos. It's just bigger and nicer looking. It God, just check out that deflector dish. It's oh, hanging. baby. It's hanging big dish. <laughs> I mean, I just want to fill that thing up with uh, with some sudsy water and, uh, and get in. Get in for a little me time, you know? The Cerritos, by comparison, kind of a space hoopty. Uh, we get a scene with Tendi and Rutherford doing some repair work under a panel, talking about the distinctive smell of uh, of the Cerritos. Yeah. Part of that smell is the fire that has caught on some of the wiring. But uh, but yeah, there's a there's a sense that uh, that while the vancouver is like a very fancy ship they they also have a lot of love for this old girl if i could ask uh writer of the episode ben joseph any question <laughs> i mean of course i would begin with the 10 i have chambered about you in college <laughs> but if i had to ask anything related to lower decks i really want to know why tendy and rutherford punch through my cynicism they just feel really good to be around as characters yeah. you know and i i feel good being around those characters in a way i never did around wesley crusher who was also very positive and youthful and interested in his workplace the way these guys are i wonder what the difference is if tendy and rutherford had had an improv team at your college you might have actually joined right <laughs> yeah what's the what's the secret sauce there Something's going on. I want to interrogate that a little more as the season goes on. The big overarching problem in this episode that is far from the Lower Decks folks is that the aliens that live in this system have lots of complicated feelings about what's going down with this moon. Some of them worship it. Some of them use it to deflect pollution from other planets. Some of them have, you know, summer homes on it. It's a lot of... Uh, a lot of politics to be engaged with, and this falls to Captain Freeman, I guess, because the captain of the Vancouver is too busy doing real captain shit. Yeah, it sure seems that way. There are a lot of moons and a lot of people on those moons. It seems like a real uh, SETI Alpha adjacent situation. I wouldn't <laughs> want to confuse these moons, and I definitely want to check the moons for Botany Bays. <laughs> <laughs> and nubbin bugs, which uh, which become a concern. You don't want any moon confusion in a mission like this. That's true. Oh, no. One person 
from the Cerritos. Tremendously excited about this whole situation. That's Boimler. His girlfriend lives on the Vancouver. This is our A story. He is gushing about his long-distance girlfriend that he met a month ago. And uh, Mariner is incredulous. I think if I was Boimler, Mariner's incredulity would be way more actively insulting to me. Like, right. I would take more umbrage with it than he does. But uh, he seems to almost ignore how great her disbelief is at the idea that he has a real live girlfriend. Boimler seems bulletproof to other people's cynicisms and doubts in a way that makes me wonder how his childhood went. <laughs> he seems like someone who has lived a sheltered life. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the story with Mariner, though, right? Like, she's kind of still living a sheltered life in a yeah. way. Yeah. The big prize that uh, Rutherford and Tendi are looking for in uh, their attachment to Vancouver duty is the T-88. This is a, it seems to be some kind of diagnostic device that is not available to the crew of the Cerritos, but they do have on the Vancouver, and that's a, a great excitement to them. They, they just can't wait to get their hands on these things. And uh, I noticed that the T-88 has a purple stripe, which I wonder, I wonder if that's just indicative of the good new shit in Starfleet in this era. That's quality stuff. Yeah. Also quality is Boimler's girlfriend. Boimler is like the... <laughs> Boimler's the guy waiting at the airport back when you used to be able to wait at the gate with, uh, <laughs> with flowers and chocolates. Except Boimler has brought a Jordy Ruxpin bear with him. <laughs> and uh, if you were to play the tape inside that bear, it would say, Hi, my name is Jordy Ruxpin. <laughs> Can I make a holodeck simulation of you to kiss? <laughs> I noticed your coolant is leaking. <laughs> I'd like to roll under your blast door. <laughs> I've committed a terrible crime. <laughs> <laughs> when I touch the bulkhead, it feels like I'm touching you. <laughs> I like hairstyles that look like calzones. I grew a beard for one episode. Oop, there it goes. <laughs> People keep exploiting my visor for security reasons. <laughs> I'm the reason the D was destroyed. <laughs> hey, want to make climbing spikes out of rocks? Let's use this phaser. <laughs> Jordy Ruxpin, not appropriate for children under the age of 16. No. Barb Brinson, voiced by Gillian Jacobs, yet another guest star in the murderer's row of guest voice stars on this show. Yeah. Really doing great voice casting. It's been really fun. Uh, she shows up, uh, as promised, a attractive, actualized woman that is interested romantically in Boimler and right. does not uh, does not appear to be a hologram, does not appear to be a pod person. And uh, in the background, Mariner is just like kind of a mix of incredulous and nauseated by, by the relationship these two seem to have. There's kind of a, uh, a triangle of tension here, Ben, because yeah. there's Bradward 
and Barb. Barb Ward is who they'd be <laughs> in in like grocery store gossip magazines. USS Weekly. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then there's a there's conflict coming from a couple of different directions. It's it's the idea of of jealousy that Bradward has for Jet, the hella cool crewman of the Cerritos who used to date Barb. And then there's from the other direction there's Mariner uh and her disbelief of Barb being a real person who's attracted to Bradward. Yeah, and and I detected some jealousy there too. Like I think that maybe the moment that most typifies this is the fact that she is impressed that Barb is a lieutenant. Mm, yeah. Like she she doesn't give a fuck about lieutenants at all. It's like that thing in high school where like a freshman boy never dated a junior girl. Right. Never there. worked like that. No. There's no way for a freshman boy to impress a junior girl. It's impossible. <laughs> when you're in high school. And yet uh, many, many out of high school guys uh, were able to impress uh, junior and senior girls in my high school enough to like go to prom with them. Wow. In a, in a fucking creep show kind of way. <laughs> mm. We didn't have proms at my high school, but we had uh, we had dances that nobody would go to with me, so... Mm. Some somewhat co- comparable, I guess. <laughs> that is just as bad. <laughs> Jet just seems so cool. Yeah, he's got that triangle-shaped torso. Yeah, he's got a very uh, very easygoing attitude. He seems fun to be around. He's got inside jokes with Barb. Yeah, there is zero evidence that Jet has kept the candle lit for Barb here. It is all imagined by bradward right this is the corrosive effect of jealousy though yeah. you, you start seeing ghosts these ships are haunted uh and uh uh what jet has to say to barb is that uh there's been some developments w slash r slash t the political situation and they aren't going to be doing the implosion of this planet quite on the timeline that they'd been thinking we gotta recalibrate the whole goddamn containment field she immediately realizes that that means her uh, her date with bradward is not happening anytime soon there's a moment here that i only picked up on during the second watch through which was uh, before barb leaves Bradward, she gives him a great big sniff, like right around the scalp. Oh, before taking off, and and I think this is a foreshadowing that you appreciate the second time through. This is this is the moment where you know something is up in a pheromonal way. I kept looking at the back of Ancient Boimler's head to see if yeah. there was a there was a a, a must hair at a, any point. I didn't catch a moment like that, but that's a that's a great catch by you. We meet a tertiary character here named Ron Docent. Uh, Ron's the guy who's going to distribute the T-88s to Tendi and Rutherford and uh, and sort of uh, inspires a competition between them. He says whoever finishes their job first gets to keep theirs. And this is going to be kind of a B story that runs in the background here of really our A and our C. Right. It's a, it's a sandwich episode. Speaking of rows of murderers, Adam... Ron Docent is, uh, I believe, played by um, by Matt Walsh from Upright Citizens Brigade. 
It's true. Did you know I had the title line in Out of Africa? <laughs> With every voice casting decision on the show, uh, my hopes of of ever being on it are, are diminished ever more. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're getting real people to do this. They're not yeah. uh, they're not stunt casting enthusiastic podcasters. They're they're right. taking this very seriously and making good decisions. So good job, Lower Decks. <laughs> do you think that they could just record us for like the din in the background in like a mess hall scene or something? I don't know, maybe. I I, I still believe this is gonna be the longest running Star Trek series ever i think we'll get our shot eventually season seven lower decks is yeah. our time to shine boimler is now feeling the pressure to prove himself uh everywhere and doing everything this is that corrosive quality of jealousy that is starting to rear its ugly head and and mariner is uniquely able to to kind of juice this yeah and and i think finally gets Boimler's goat to the extent that he starts to kind of fight back and say like, Hey, you're like actually like super insulting me with these implications that right. she's actually like a salt sucking alien or whatever. And she says, cites a past experience of some real trauma. And, uh, we cut to a previous posting of hers, a ship docked at deep space nine. And this is, uh, the Quito where she had a couple of friends and uh, they were the perfect couple and the guy turned out to be a uh, a shape changer and ate the gal and everybody in 10 forward had to shoot him with a phaser once you experience the uh, the death of Angie and Nico you're never the same yeah nice to see those old uniforms right it was nice to see that old color temperature like like there's something unique about the lighting anywhere on deep space nine that that made it hyper familiar yeah and uh yeah i really love this flashback this is great and it i think there is a danger to doing this once and i wonder if this it could go either way it's either the one time they give it to you that that makes you want to chase the flashback dragon forever or if this is going to be a quality to the show that they dose out every once in a while, like uh, like flashback methadone that, <laughs> that they give you every once in a while to to like goose your nostalgia. Yeah, it's really well done. Is why I say that. Like, there's there's nothing but good feelings about it. So far, it is. Yeah, and I I keep wondering, like, am I like is is this the episode where a reference to Captain Picard Day or a you know, or or the sexy people in Justice are going to be a you know a bummer. Like, oh, they're just kind of like ringing the the nostalgia bell too much. But it's, it's, it reminds me of that time I lost a ball on the Justice Planet. <laughs> like they totally fucking Family Guy lower decks. You could see them doing that in in a way that would ruin the show. But yeah. I think so far uh, their instincts are are good. Mariner kind of commits the, to not ever allowing this again. And uh, up in the observation lounge, all these uh, purple alien guys uh, seem to have been persuaded by Captain Freeman to the various concessions and accommodations she is proposing. And uh, they happily file out of the room. But there's one remaining alien, and he's a red alien. 
same kind of alien design, but red instead of purple. And uh, he says that he has a unique problem, which is that the pollution from the one planet uh, would be getting to his planet if not for this moon. And uh, I found this a little hard to to follow because there is a diagram of the moon crashing into a planet on the screen the entire time. And I think that's the that's what they're trying to prevent but they keep like pointing at it. <laughs> and I was like, wait, is that the pollution coming from? Cause that looks like the thing that it's coming from looks like the moon they're trying to destroy. So <laughs> it really seems like a moon trolley problem. Like <laughs> someone's going to die. Someone's going to be displaced in a way that they would not prefer. Someone's going to lose here. But captain Freeman seems at this point, uh, fairly confident that, uh, this is the sort of problem that Starfleet solves. Yeah. So we get a few beats of the uh, of the storyline where Boimler is trying to cuddle up to Barb while Mariner is slinking around in the background trying to prove that she is one or another kind of pod person and or infiltrator. And uh, there's there's one in like a McLaughlin group issue one where they're looking at a bunch of holographic representations of the planets in the system where Mariner sets off a uh, a noise on her tricorder that would fry the positronic net on an android. And uh, Barb is, is immune to this. Barb, not an android. I mean, she's doing contractions and everything. I think that in this era, that's, that's pretty definitive. She laughs pretty naturally. Yeah. That's good. She understands humor. Mm-hmm. Another good sign. One of the big takeaways of this scene for me wasn't just that Boimler interrupts and Mariner does this thing to Barb, but it's that Jet fixes the problem. Like there's a disruption in the thing that Jet fixes, and that emphasizes this like thing about Jet. Yeah, he's so capable. He's so dreamy. He's so great. Yeah. Why doesn't Barb go with Jet? I mean, if I were Barb, I'd go with Jet. Jet's got everything. Jet's got Jet's the whole package. I mean, he may not smell quite as fuckable as Boimler, but that's not Jet's fault. Jet's everyone's type. Yeah. We get a scene in a Jeffrey's tube where uh, Rutherford and Tendi are talking about how great the T-88s are. How many diagnostics have you run? Fifteen. And uh, I loved them fantasizing about themselves bringing a T-88 back to their respective jobs. I love that one person in every scene is worshiping them in some way. <laughs> yeah, they like they are a conquering hero or some kind of godhead because they have a T-88. Yeah. But the scene did kind of make me wonder why Tendi is in a Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> like, hmm. it doesn't seem like a medical thing that they're doing. No, she has a lot of latitude. Where is, uh, where's Dr. Katz this episode? No, I think the one time I spotted Dr. Katz was in the scene where Tendi was fantasizing about presenting her colleagues with a T-88. Oh no, weird. This next scene is the scene from the screen grab that was uh, in the background of the last episode. It's Mariner with one of those detective boards with pictures and yarn. Right. We get basically a tour of Star Trek history here. Uh, with references to just about every series. But the one I like the most here is the one that uh, references the Duffin, <laughs> the uh, the lady shapeshifter from early TNG. Oh, yeah. Good call. 
that's related to this episode. Yeah. There's something about uh, Deep Space Nine where Odo is treated as being like unbelievably unique. And yeah. when you think back on all of the things in Star Trek that can shapeshift, it's actually kind of a long list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not that special. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just a I'm just a constable. It's not a big deal. This storyline is also one that is not super unique. I read that uh that this is pulling directly from the very first episode of Star Trek ever, the first episode of TOS called The Man Trap, where uh there was a there was a salt-sucking vampire pretending to be Dr. McCoy's long-lost girlfriend. This is an episode we haven't seen on The Greatest Discovery. We haven't watched more than a handful of TOS episodes, but uh, the internet pedants out there, I'm wanting to uh, to stop <laughs> their emails before they begin. Yeah. Lots of why didn't you or didn't you notice that coming, yeah. coming with, you know, this is, a, this is a joke-dense show we're reviewing right now, and... Uh, we do cut things for time. Yeah, not only that, like this isn't the Chris Farley show. Uh, hey, Adam. Yeah. You remember that scene where <laughs> Boimler put on like a cool outfit and went into the mess hall on the Vancouver to talk to Barb? That was awesome. <laughs> you remember the George Thorogood soundtrack that they kind of <laughs> laid in there to emphasize like, like the idea of being cool? Yeah. Do you remember when he got that beer out of the replicator and then accidentally tripped on Jet's foot and spilled it all over Barb? That was really funny. <laughs> this might be like the rock bottom, this scene for, for Mariner and Boimler in this episode, because this is the instigation of an actual fight, like outward hostility. Like Mariner goes in for the hair clipping. Right. Uh, Barb is also upset with with cool Boimler and uh, and how we can be so sexy and weird at the same time. This is a, <laughs> a vibe that I've cultivated for decades. Yeah. It's problematic. I can tell you that. <laughs> the I'm going to go back to, to my job and he says, can I walk you? And then she says, I can walk myself. Come on, Jet, walk me. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> and this is another instance of Jet being great. Yeah. Jet's so awesome. Jet rules. Uh, I loved how Mariner, like, at this point, looks like she's, like, totally lost sleep over this. She looks like Mirror Boimler did in that last episode with, like, the very shadowy under eye. And, like, she's got uh, she's got pig pen squiggles coming out of her hair yeah. to, uh, to emphasize how disheveled she is. Yeah, she's uh, she's exhausted, and she really sinks to rock bottom when she attempts to prove that Barb has a tail by pulling Barb's pants down in the shuttle bay. I love that Barb's uniform says medical, but her underwear says command. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the carpet does not match the drapes. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. I want to know more about Starfleet-issued... Uh, underwear, mostly. Do you get to pick your own? I mean, like, replicator underwear's got to be bad, right? Man, you know that stuff has that silver thread in it, right? Oh, so it's like uh, antimicrobial? I bet. That'd be nice. You never see the the Starfleet pitting out, do you? No, nobody ever gets ultra sweaty on one of these ships. <laughs> That'd be fun. 
I mean, there was a little bit of that in Naked Now. Yeah. Like there was, there were like beads of sweat, but like sweating through the uniform is something that uh, I personally would like to see more of. I agree. Uh, let's let's see a lot more sweat. <laughs> Barbward is that what their collective name is? Barbward. <laughs> what did you call him? Barbler. <laughs> Burble. <laughs> Barbler sounds like something you uh, you smoke marijuana out of. <laughs> Yeah, or you it, it's part of the water feature in your suburban backyard. This is this is a scene where uh, where Mariner steps on a husk that she believes to have come from Barb, right? A uh, a parasitic husk. Yeah, she realizes that there is in fact a parasite in play and she must rescue Boimler at all costs. So she races off. But then we cut to Lieutenant Commander Docent's office where he is meeting with Tendi and Rutherford and uh, confirming that they've both done a great job with the T-88, but the the big reveal is that in order to keep the T-88s that he is promising them, they are going to be transferred to the Vancouver, and that means uh, they're, they're going to be away from their friends, and they're very upset about this. This appears to be the first officer we've ever met on lower decks who isn't completely supportive of a career move by a subordinate. <laughs> I was blindsided by this. I thought this would be a rule of three style job change. But no, Docent is is working toward a non-consensual transfer here. I kind of wondered if this was headed in the direction of Docent has the same kind of parasite on him that Barb has on her and yeah. the Vancouver is actually a you know it's it's essentially a nubbin ship that is nubbing around and uh, and he's trying to get himself onto the Cerritos to spread the nubbins right I thought he might may be the remick of this episode yeah god if there's ever a series that could revisit the nubbin bugs this is it man it's this one I can't wait so Mariner is running and running <laughs> and running and trying to find Boims. And Boims and Barb have the benefit of a head start. They it appears as though they've already gone toward one of these uh these platform ships that are surrounding the moon that's that's being destroyed. And uh Mariner like spacewalks out to one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she she kind of like a Super Mario platformers Whoa! her way to the one that Boimler is supposedly on. The bit we glossed over here was the was the fake authorization code for a site to site <laughs> transport. Yeah, that was awesome. Mariner Eight is uh, is so plausible. I can't believe the guy didn't didn't just let it happen. I know, but uh, but yeah, she she finds Boimler kind of in the. In the afterglow of some sexy times, uh, he is he's nude. <laughs> Get the uh, the tiled out dong. Not a generous black bar over his uh, his package there. I was just gonna say that I feel like neither generous nor ungenerous. Just a very standard black bar. Yeah, he's pretty average. <laughs> Is there going to be like a too hot for TV release of this show? Because they, they, they're beeping a swear or two every episode. And now we have a nudity that's deleted out. 
I've long believed that physical media is dead, but if if the promise of the Blu-ray on season one of Lower Decks is seeing Boimler's dong, then yeah. I mean, I might just be a buyer. I mean, the only reason I went to see the Simpsons movie in theaters was so I could see what Bart's dick looked like. Right. I also wanted to hear Homer say motherfucker. <laughs> this is uh, this is one of the scenes of the video package, I think, that was rolled out when they announced yeah. Lower Decks. And I remember it being one of the triggers for a type of Star Trek fan that reflexively said, this isn't my Star Trek. Uh-huh. What's up with the nudity and the black bar and the sex jokes? This isn't my Star Trek, they said. But how interesting is it that that so many of these scenes in that video package have revealed themselves to be, in context, really funny and not not Star Trek? No, it's a, it's a, it's a very fun moment. Um, I, I love the way the script gets Boimler out of the scene by having him like trip and fall over and knock himself out. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we need, we need Barb and Mariner to, uh, become friends with each other. They didn't turn the little black box like in a, in a direction that sort of lays gently on a thigh. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been nice. But yeah, like I this is like the first time I've seen this in Star Trek. Like they're like the dramatic math of this scene requires this character to not be in it and these two characters to be in it. Mm-hmm. Drop a banger and have the one character pass out. Like right. perfect. Barb and Mariner sort of argue fight their way to an understanding. Right. The uh I mean it's like a pretty serious knockdown drag out fight at first that then totally is sort of devolves into them sharing hilarious stories about what an embarrassing dork boimler is they're mirror images of each other in their accusations though which i thought was a neat uh conflict flourish yeah that barb has been harboring suspicions that mariner may be a parasite person the entire time right the thing they have in common is being audience for Boimler's many fuck-ups, and they are legion. <laughs> the timing of the of the implosion of the moon is the, is our ticking clock here, and they're like we have very little context about what's going on with the with the moon project in this episode. Like we don't really know what the deal is with these platform ships. We know that there's some kind of force field around the moon and the platform ships have something to do with it. We know that they are uh, going critical and need to be piloted, but we don't really know like why or anything like this. This is a very lower decks amount of context we get in this episode. Right. This episode C story is what a TNG's A story would be. Yeah, like we exactly. would we would revisit this conflict in a more in a more deep way. We would have had dozens of McLaughlin groups issue 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 one, issue one issue one explaining all of the science by this point. But what we do get is like one brief scene on the bridge when Captain Freeman realizes that that red alien is trying to save himself and one other person on the planet that he's complaining about because he is tremendously rich and this causes her to lose all respect for him and and uh, commence the implosion of the moon. This is maybe the most Star Trek 
moment in Lower Decks ever. Star Trek hates the rich. Yeah, fuck the rich. Fuck the rich. Implode the rich moons. Yeah. We must implode the rich moons (laughs) and distribute the pieces to the people. (laughs) Uh, Lieutenant Commander Docent, they've stolen his iPad from him. This is the iPad that he's going to use to enact the transfer of Tendi and Rutherford and uh, they Tendi and Rutherford managed to lose Docent in the hallways and get into a turbo lift where Tendi is able to crack the password of this iPad and realize that Docent is actually also trying to transfer himself to the Cerritos and uh, he makes the case that working on a ship like the Vancouver is actually too epic undesirable amount of epicness We've talked about this on other episodes about Lower Decks, the idea of Star Trek PTSD, Mm -hmm. the idea of too much excitement. This is a multiverse Riker-style breakdown, isn't it? (laughs) And it begins with, you don't know what it's like here. Like, that is the line of dialogue from Borg Riker, remember? Maybe this is that universe. (laughs) Yeah. It engenders a lot of empathy, I think. I mean... I used to work at a place and I did not want a promotion. Like Mm -hmm. I was happy with what I was doing and my managers did not understand that about me. They thought there was something wrong. And they thought you may have been taken over by some kind of parasite. And this docent guy has got that vibe. He's why does it always have to be uh, something stressful and awful? Yeah. Uh, Rutherford has... uh recorded this entire tearful confession on his implant and uh, pretty handy and so they they have a ton of leverage over lieutenant commander docent now and are able to extract uh, a couple of uh, t88s that they can take back to the cerritos and he cancels out all the transfers on the ipad toward the end of the episode we we get the extraction of the parasite out of Boimler's scalp. And this thing has a real Michigan J frog quality to him <laughs> because he's, he's like repeating words. It's unclear to what extent his powers are pheromonal and what might be verbal or uh, telepathic. Yeah. But it's clear he's a real problem. And it's also clear that he's the reason for Barb's attraction to Boimler. Uh, the spell appears to be broken in this scene, and and in breaking the spell, Barb dumps Boims for the parasite and and her interest in studying it. Yeah, this thing is called a Guga, and uh, she doesn't want him to believe that the the pheromones were the only reason she liked him, but she does let, like break it to him that uh, she's she's going to focus on her career, and her career is now studying this Guga. So. Yeah. Seems like the Guga kind of got what it wanted. Seems like the Guga has an even smaller black bar than Boimler. So, (laughs) I mean, maybe the Guga just has a great personality. Maybe so. Nice sense of humor. Yeah. It's not all what's behind your black bar, Adam. Yeah. Love is more than black bar deep. Love is more than what is censored out. Yeah. (laughs) The button on the episode is a brief scene where Tendi and Rutherford are back uh, working on the computer that they were working on at the beginning of the episode, and they have both just stolen bags full of T-88s. So many T-88s. On the one hand, 
I love this. I love that they have the the tech item that they covet. On the other hand, are they going to sell them? What are they going to do with all these T88s? I'm guessing the diagnostics on uh, on the Cerritos are about to get a lot nicer. Yeah, they're about to get diagnosed <laughs> with alacrity. Yeah. I didn't have these two pegged as quite as chaotic good as they seem to yeah. be in this episode. Boy, is that the label, I think. Five episodes in, I think we can cement that yeah. into the story. Like, as chaotic good as Mariner. Yeah. Boimler's the only lawful good among them. Who's the bad guy on this show? I think it's us. It's you and me. Hmm. Clearly. <laughs> well, did you like this episode, Ben? I did. I thought this was a very fun episode. I've, uh, I've had to work through a lot of jealousy that mm. a personal friend of mine got to write an episode of Star Trek, and I didn't know about it until <laughs> recently. This is an episode about jealousy, so that fits. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to not locate myself in the episode for that reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought uh, I thought it was a very fun episode, and I am really impressed with how consistent this show is. Very much so. Yeah, I I appreciated the episode avoiding the tropey pitfall of of Mariner falling for Boimler as a result of the story. Instead, it's Mariner cares for Boimler and doesn't fall for him, and then that's that's the way it should be. Yeah. Did you like the episode? Yeah, I did. I feel like we, most of the time, would have gotten our our clunker by now. Right. Running a good streak is lower decks at this point. We'll get it eventually. Don't oh, worry. they're gonna fuck this up. <laughs> the way the way we fuck up every couple of episodes on Greatest Gen. Yeah, never on Greatest Discovery though. No, perfect shows every time. That's a fuck up free zone. Yeah. Uh, Adam, you know what else is a fuck-up free zone is the priority one inbox of The Greatest Discovery. You want to head over there with me and see if we've got any messages? Oh, those are perfect every time, Ben. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature. Whoa. The message goes like this. Hey, friends of DeSoto, are you on your third or fourth listen of this week's episode of Greatest Discovery? <laughs> What our podcast presupposes is maybe listen to more podcasts. <laughs> no, just keep listening to ours. <laughs> From Wolverine to Frodo, Homer's Podacy is a new podcast where two dummies who used to do a news radio show dive deep into popular movies about heroes and the hero's journey. If you like the greatest gen verse, there's a good chance you'll like what Corey and Stacy are doing. Wow. The first five eps drop September 2nd. Hey, that'll be out by the time this drops. And it says new episodes are every week, so give Homer's Podacy a shot or several shots, they're asking. Wow. Uh, you can find them at Homer's Podacy on Twitter. That's H-O-M-E-R-S-P-O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y. And uh, you're also going to find that on all the podcatchers everywhere. Man, that sounds like a great show. I really envy people that have professional broadcasting skills to bring to podcasting it sounds like Corey and stacy uh have done it for real so now they're doing it for fun give them a listen i like the burst mode too right dropping five eps on one day yeah we should have done that with friendly fire release all 30 episodes we recorded before we released anything 
Yeah, that would have been great. Instead, we just ate up that runway yeah. over the course of a couple months and then stressed ourselves out. Adam, our next priority one message here is from Josh, and it's to Jen. It goes like this. The happiest of birthdays to you, Jen. I adore you and the life we've been building. Last five years have been an awesome and wild ride. I'm excited to, yes, and our continuing adventures together. Adam and Ben, thank you for exploring the idea that led to this and all the rest of the awesome pod. It all brings a lot of joy into our lives. Cheers. It uh, appears as though Josh and Jen are an improv couple, Ben. (laughs) Well, uh, you make fun now, but a few years from now, you're going to look back on having had an opportunity to know an improv couple and acted like an internet troll instead of becoming cool friends with them. Yeah. I have a lot of regrets. Great callback (laughs) there, too. (laughs) Well, uh, whether or not you have a new podcast to plug or uh, a partner to plug... (laughs) Or to... Uh, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which are uh, so vital in continuing our work on The Greatest Discovery. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. 
It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? I did. I'm going to give it to Captain Freeman this time for uh, that just, like, instinctive turn to destroy the planet when Mm -hmm. she finds out that the guy is just trying to protect his wealth. (laughs) Like, I think it's a very, like, funny Starfleet idea that she gave this guy the benefit of the doubt until she found out he was wealthy. And the instant she did, she just turned on him. (laughs) I mean, this is very low-key needs of the many, right? Yeah, it was great. To be anti-rich is a needs of the many Star Trek quality. Uh, that's why I uh, I hate billionaires so much. Indeed. My Edward Larkin, uh, there's a rule about that, Ben, and the rule is it's Mariner unless it's not. Right. Uh, it's going to be Mariner. And I think uh, it's Mariner because she gave me the biggest laughs this episode. I... I alluded to this earlier, maybe this can be a segment going forward, but the very biggest laugh I got from the episode was during her dash through the corridors. Uh-huh. She shoves a couple people out of the way. One of them is Jennifer, <laughs> and it is very clear that she has got beef with Jennifer because she pushes her without Jennifer having even been in her way. Yeah. And there's a tone to Tawny Newsom's read of that that is so perfectly done. Like, I don't think we've talked a lot about how talented she is as a voice actor on this show, but there's such a unique kind of stink on that that she puts on Jennifer's name that I don't think you can direct. I think that's just a person who <laughs> who knows how to say that name in that way. And uh, it's great. A big laugh out of me there. I also just really like the idea of Andorian parents naming their daughter Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, well, we got to know if the good is going to continue. We're on a five-episode streak here, Ben. Perfect greatest discovery eps, great lower decks eps. What's on tap for episode six? Well, it seemed like they were finding a bunch of, like, I don't know, derelict cargo or something. And the uh, the little promo trailer showed 
uh, a lot of mayhem going down. Everybody is wound up because of some cargo, mm. as far as I could tell. Classic Star Trek conceit there. Trouble <laughs> with the cargo. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it, Ben. Uh, next week's episode is just a week from today, as uh, as the train keeps rolling on this 56 week in a row of brand new Star Trek programming from the uh, the CBS family of companies. Yeah, uh, we are uh, we are chugging along, having a great time doing it, and uh, can't wait for next week. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to leave it with Rob's, 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 Rob's. So uh, thanks for listening. Come on back next week. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who has an amazing cooking channel on YouTube that you should check out after this episode. If you're looking for more Trek to listen to, why don't you explore our back catalog? We've got episodes of TOS, Star Trek the Animated Series, all the seasons of Star Trek Discovery, an interview with Anson Mount. There's so much more. Take a listen. There's a lot to discover. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are ran by the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Thanks, Bill. We really appreciate the help. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week on another episode of The Greatest Discovery. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.